Ariel, listen to me. The human world, it's a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. Welcome, it is your Let's Fix Football. Uh, today is International Break Week, and I am having a Shumai Belgian Ale to celebrate uh, because there's not that much to talk about. Evan Matier, my co-host, this is Gabe Lezer, by the way. I'm, I'm all over the place because, like I said, there's not that much to say. Evan, how you doing, buddy? And what are you drinking? So I'm hanging in there. Hanging in there. I am drinking. So I am drinking tonight my like favorite, current favorite whiskey. That's like not like ridiculous expensive whiskey. This is Thirteenth State Rye. It's a, it's from Atlanta, Georgia. It mm. is spicy and delicious. And I get it from a friend of mine anytime I'm there. Hell yeah, man. That's good. That's good shit. Well, I love Chimay. It's my. I hope that's how I pronounce it. If we have any Belgian listeners or people who know I, more about that's this shit. Like, I mean, that's my understanding of the Chimay is the way it is, but like, let us know if we're idiots. But I, I know I, I've gone to many a bodega with you, and we've raided their Chimay many a time. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Well, I, as you may have guessed, I'm back in New York because I threw up my back this weekend, which is why I missed the Managing Madrid pod. Uh, not that there's that much to talk about. However, uh, just jumping right in, this, for what it's worth, everybody, fans of this show, this will be our bad take episode Rama, only bad takes, the only thing that we have to talk about because there is a small, tiny bit of news that we need to get to at the beginning of the show because it actually is a big deal and it happened today. But other than that, we're going to talk only bad takes. We have a whole shitload of them for you. It's going to be great. But before we get into that, sorry, yeah, what, what's up, buddy? No, no, I was just, just going to suggest maybe we name this bad take Bonanza. Is that good? Bad take bonanza. Hell yeah. And I'm going to have a big old sip of my, and by sip, I mean chug of my shumay before we jump in because our news is actually kind of a bummer, Evan. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Italy's out of the World Cup. We're not yeah. alone. USA is not alone. They are gone. They lost to Sweden, or they didn't, they lost to Sweden in the first leg. They needed a win in the second leg. They had a really ugly nil nil draw. Um, was, I actually didn't see any of the match, but apparently it was pretty painful. It was fucking terrible. So, ladies and gentlemen, Italy eliminated from the World Cup. Evan, the NIT this season going to be lit as fuck. It's going to be Italy, Holland, USA, <laughs> Chile. Yeah, great show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, that's not a, that's not a bad turn. I mean, if you gave me that as the, I mean, not even kidding though, you give me that as the quarterfinals of or the semifinals of a world cup and I, w- I would say oh there were some upsets but it's not ridiculous yeah man that's that's kind of how i feel the interesting thing is i actually like looking at this i totally would watch the shit out of a uh like kind of it's like a, the champions league versus the uefa league i totally watch the shit out of the uefa tournament like i totally would like even if like especially if like teams like this are in there but even in years where it's just like fucking senegal and south africa and like peru playing each other i'd still watch the shit out of that tournament yeah but here's um, the thing those days those days are completely gone right because the next world cup's gonna be 48 teams so like this is your last chance yeah. in a reasonably large country to miss the world cup because you will never miss the world cup again never again uh and this this 
you know, shows exactly why they expanded the field, guys. Like, uh, the fact is that even when teams don't deserve to be in the World Cup, a big market team like Italy makes the tournament more fun. And I know it sucks, but the fact is that a World Cup without Italy, without Holland, without Chile, without even the United States, it's actually a World Cup that doesn't feel quite as, quite as full, quite as exciting. I actually kind of get the expansive thing and that way uh well let's 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 be completely honest they're not doing it because it makes it more fun they're doing it because it makes more money of course they are there's fifa has never made a decision in their entire existence based on something that would actually make something more fun it's just because they make more money that being said i think there is this confluence where you know at least every world cup we're gonna see the big the big countries play and we're gonna see some kind of randos like get in like i think it's not insane to think that you know, kind of a random weird country makes the World Cup now, like Israel or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you see, like, you know, Bosnia, Herzegovina makes a makes a run or something like that. And, like, I know we, we talked about it. Look, obviously it's a money grab. But the truth is that it also means more World Cup. And I fucking hate FIFA, but, my God, do I love the World Cup. It also means less qualifying, and I love the World Cup, and I hate qualifying. So, exactly. like, that's good too. So, like, nobody likes all these qualifying, there, all qualifying matches. A lot they of, suck. A lot of good shit about this shit. So, let's just really quickly. I want to. I want to quickly talk about this Italy game. The referee uh, Matteo Lajos from Spain, absolute garbage. One of the worst refereeing performances I've ever seen in my entire life. It was. It was an f- absolute joke. Multiple penalties by multi. I mean, four to five, not called. Uh, each team deserved one. But on top of all of that, Italy played a terrible game. Um, Insigne didn't start and barely got on the pitch. He's their best f- st- uh, forward. I don't understand what the thinking is not starting the best forward in a game where you absolutely have to score. Like, the only thing Italy has to do in this match is fucking score and not let, you know, not let Sweden score themselves. But, like, fucking score. You have to score. And they couldn't manage it. And, like, it was just terrible. Like, everything went wrong for Italy. But on top of it, the coach it just played a terrible, terrible game tactically. Uh, and it's, it's really, really sad because a lot of these players, these legends on the Italian team, will not play international football again. Gianluigi Buffon wept in his post-game press conference talking about his retirement. We will never see him play for Italy again. Daniele De Rossi uh, is out likely Bonucci, a lot of these players were never going to see him play for Italy again. And that, you know, regardless of who you're rooting for, that's a tragedy because these, these guys had long storied and, and good and powerful international careers for their country. And it's an embarrassment and, and a real tragedy that they went out this way. The, the one thing I will say, though, Evan, Ventura resigned as soon as the match ended. Talk Fuck about yes. the right thing to do. Bruce, take... take- Take notes, Bruce Arena. Jeez. And I mean, that's what you do, right? So, like, you know, it's impossible for us as American fans not to compare this to the USA going out. So, like, first off, your mention of Buffon and DeRossi and their legends going out, like, for I feel like for them, so like, for us, it was like, thank God we're probably never going to see Michael Bradley play a major game again. For them, it's like, well, geez, this is the end of our run. Like, these are these are legends who, who have had a lot of success and they're gone, and that's sad. So it's like completely flip side on the veterans there. But yeah, for the manager, like, this is exactly what you and I said Bruce Arena to do. He was obviously going to leave anyway, do it with some class, take responsibility up front, and just and just bow out, exactly. immediately bow exactly. out. You're, you have one, if you're an international coach, you have one job. 
qualify for the World Cup. That's it. If you don't do that, you're done. You have to be done. You have to be done. Uh, he didn't go and speak to the media in a press conference. I think that's a bit cowardly. But the truth is, there, what is he going to say? I failed. My team failed. Yeah. I failed us. I mean, like, that's it. And, and yeah, it's good I mean, that he retired. I guess the best that you could say, you could, you could, the best you could say about that is, so like he did resign, and that's very good. I think that the fans are owed an apology. And that's the best he, that's the best he can do at a press conference race. He can show up and he can apologize for a failure because, you know, let's be clear. This is a, this is far. So people talk, they're right. The that European competition is harder than CONCACAF, but Italy is such a, such a world power that this is a much more seismic event than the U S not making the yes. world cup. Yes, it is. Like this never should have come about. It was, I've read articles that ex- talked about it. it. It was bad management on the front end with how they dealt with friendlies, which got them seated low, which got them put in the same group with Spain. Like there were, so there were management mistakes. There was lack of coaching, lack of effort on the pitch. Like it's just a complete catastrophe yep. that, you know, a, this is a world cup champion team in the past and is one of the, you know, one of the top four not, leagues in not Europe. Like just a no long excuse. time ago. They won a world no. cup in 2006 guys. This is yeah. it's ridiculous. Buffon was the keeper that won the world cup. Like, so, and, and, and on top of all of that, I mean, like, let's be clear, like, this, this is an embarrassment. They should be apologizing. And regardless of any of the way the match went, and it was terrible, they, they, all, they all should be ashamed, and they should be embarrassed. And, and it's, it's, it's really sad that they're not going to be there. And, and it's just, I'm bummed. I'm bummed. Because the truth is that Italy, regardless of any of deserving it, of how they played, Italy is a team that is nice to have in the World Cup simply because of the history. Evan, the last time they didn't qualify for the World Cup was in 1958. They managed That's to qualify amazing. for the World Cup in 1950 despite the fact that 10 of their starters died in a plane crash before the qualification. So this is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really puts the fact that the U.S. You know, the U.S. last missed in 1986 and we all made a huge deal about that. And, like, that, that, this really puts that in perspective of how much a bigger deal this is. This is a European power. They won't be there. It's And you're right. It's going to be a worse tournament for it, even though I won't have to watch, you know, quite as many just painstaking Italian Kadenakio matches. Exactly. All right. So the other piece of news that I wanted to quickly discuss, Evan, is... So I think we may have briefly touched on it in other shows, but uh, SB Nation came out with a really interesting and really good profile of the Columbus crew and their finances, wherein they basically made the argument that I think was pretty convincing that the crew actually isn't in a financial hole, that really what Precord is doing is trying to get a new stadium to try to slightly up the, uh, up the uh, amount of money that he can make, but... It doesn't, but the, 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 the whole rationale for relocation is not so much that the, the team is going bankrupt, that the team is losing money, but rather that he's not making quite enough money. And that, to me, makes this whole situation even more infuriating. So basically what Espionation showed was that if the crew had actually purchased and owned a stadium themselves, they would actually be paying almost you know, 10 times more money in property taxes than what they pay in rent. And they showed that... And, and to me, that in itself is a fascinating and an underreported element of this entire saga, that actually owning your own stadium, given how lucrative the rental agreement that they have with Mapfree and the people that actually own those property is, that they would actually lose quite a bit of money if they were to own their own stadium. It, it, it's a fascinating piece. I would suggest everyone read it. On top of that... 
there was an amazing situation where a hoaxer emailed the president or, or one of the, the higher ups at MLS talking about whether, you know, and, and basically got him to admit that pre-court never planned to go to Columbus again in a, a series of hoax emails. It was, it's an incredible series of events here for the, for the crew. And I think, Evan, it really does, like, add to this, this fire and this belief that there never was really a chance that pre-court wasn't going to move the team. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that that is what the hoax really, really brings out. And I think when you put it in combination with the fact that the crew actually are doing, you know, reasonably well, they seem at least to be profitable. Um, so it's like it's not like there's any risk that he's going to lose his investment. I think that it, you know, he would have known all of that when he bought the crew, when he came on board. And it just really confirms what everyone kind of thought, which is that this man bought them essentially kind of as investment that, but it was always predicated on the fact that he was going to get them to Austin. Right. It was just, this isn't something where it's like, Oh, I bought the crew. I love them, but Oh my God, look at these problems. We need to fix these. I'm, I'm so sorry. No, it's, you know, I want a team in Austin. I don't want to go through the trouble of the expansion race because exactly. that's very competitive and I would have to compete with San Antonio. But if I buy the crew and I make up this whole story about financial struggles and I can't get a stadium, well then I get to move them. And that just seems to be what it is. And, you know what? If he wanted to be honest and just say, look, I think I can make more money in Austin. Not that a team's not viable in Columbus. A team is apparently viable in Columbus, but I just think I can make more in Austin. Then fine. Make that case and see if you can sell that to the right. league and the fan. Exactly. I don't think you can. No, I don't think you can either. But I think that he's been everything about this screams deception. And it's just been par for the course with this entire situation. And, you know, interestingly, Evan, we're talking um, so. Uh, I know that I, I mentioned this briefly on our last show, but my uh, my friend Liz Contagnola and I are are making a website uh, that and uh, and a column actually called Ballon d'Order, where we're going to be talking about some legal issues relating to soccer, and um, we're actually getting the column syndicated with Howler Magazine, and our first article is actually going to be about the different legal claims that could be brought potentially against pre-court and, and whatnot. And my part is going to be about a potential fraud case by San Antonio against MLS. And I think that one of the things that we're seeing in some of these articles, these, these emails that are coming out is that MLS seems to know very well that pre-court really had no intention at any point of keeping the, uh, the crew in Columbus. And they also understand that a team in Austin essentially precludes the city of San, Francisco, or San Antonio from getting a team. And so if you put all these different things together, the fact that, the, that MLS is encouraging San Antonio to bid, that, they're, that they have all of these emails going back and forth where they deny that there's any like set plan in place to bring anyone to Austin, it, it, I think it lines up pretty interestingly for a fraud suit from, from the city of San Antonio against MLS. I, I know you can't comment yeah. on that. But I mean, I can just speculate about whether there's a material misstatement, whether or not there was detrimental reliance, whether or not that caused any kind of financial harm. You know, those are the types of things that those are the types of things that you would look at. And I will, you know, leave it to the listeners to, you know, look at all the evidence here and think if you've seen those types of things. Um, you know, that's what, uh, for example, the San Antonio investors group would have to show right. um, in order to in order to bring that kind of claim. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something yeah, that, there it is. Yeah, it's definitely on the table. And you read, you know, keep an eye out for my uh, my article will be on Ballon com and on Howler in Howler magazine uh, online. Uh, all right. It, OK. Oh, last piece of news. Shit. I'm sorry. It's kind of a bad take, though, also, Evan, because uh, it was recently reported. It's really funny. It was recently reported that La Liga, the Spanish league, 
is going to implement or begin to implement VAR video assistant refereeing yeah, in the amazing. middle of the season. In the middle of the yeah, season. This is so this is so La Liga too. Like it's like okay, maybe VAR is a good idea. You should probably implement it in a nice measured way. But no, they're just going to have this big reactionary reform because Barcelona and Madrid are now equally crying about it. Yep. And they're going to, and not just like, like the idea that you would implement in the middle of the season is so hilarious to me because a lot of shit has already gone down that has, previously Barcelona was the main team whining about VAR because last season they had a couple of shots and stuff go against them. This season, Madrid has had a number of things go against them that VAR would have fixed, including goals, whatnot, including goals that should have counted against Barcelona. So Madrid now whines. Now when you have both of these teams pitching a huge fucking fit, La Liga has this huge overreaction and says, we're going to do it now. We're doing it right now. We're not going to have any retroactive effect. We're going to put it in now from now on. Instead of saying, yes, we, we commit to doing it in the offseason like any rational human being would. They, yeah, but- I mean, you need, you need the offseason to go over. To, you need to train referees how to do this, train them on what the standards are. You need preseason matches where you can test out oh. your system, see if it all works. Like, I mean, this it is completely, it is the stupidest thing I've ever heard to try to do this midseason. Dude, it's but it's like so freaking La Liga, though. Isn't this like classic yeah. La Liga oh, stuff right here? Is. Of course it is, because it's going to be a catastrophe. The first yeah, time this happens, it's going to be a 10-minute delay while everyone talks to each other to figure out how the fuck it's supposed to work because none of these people know because they've never used it before they're going to be like wait a minute can we review that and they're literally going to have to have a referee conference like in american football and talk to each other about whether they can review it and then they're going to go to the sideline and someone's going to call them and be like yeah that was offside or whatever and they're like well can we overturn the goal and then the person will have to fucking check the rule book it's a goddamn disaster the fans are going to hate it and just that alone is going to turn the fans against var even though it has been consistently, correctly, and well implemented in MLS, in Bundesliga, and across the world. But no, because Spain is going to do it in the middle of the season, they're going to do it in a game between, like, Hetafe and, like, Levante, and it's going to be, like, an 85th-minute equalizer that someone's going to think might be offside. It's going to take five minutes of discussion, and then they're going to come in and disallow the goal, and the fucking people are going to riot. Because, of course, they are, because that's La Liga. Yep. All right. Well, fuck me. It's terrible. It, it, it's also very funny. Speaking of funny, my man, let's jump in because we got some fucking terrible takes. And I think the way to start our bad take uh, reading series is to kind of go most recent to last, to, to, to kind of back in the past. My favorite bad take uh, from today. Uh, so there are, two, <laughs> there are two of them that I really like. First of all, Big shout out to all of the paid soccer commentators who immediately, as soon as this match was over, said, well, this wouldn't have happened if Sebastian Giovinco had been called up to the Italy squad, especially my man Rob Stone at Fox Sports. Minutes after this, Sebastian Giovinco, I bet he would have scored. (sighs) Yep. Terrible take, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not a good take. Sebastian, I don't know. I don't know much to say about it. Sebastian Giovinco is an MLS player for uh, for for Toronto. He is pretty good, but yeah, he, he's he, fine. 
He is not playing in any of the top leagues in Europe. They had Insigne, who is the the striker for Inter Milan, who's on a tear on the bench. The idea that Giovinco would have made any difference in this match in any way is absolute bonkers and bananas. Yeah, no, it's, it's really silly. Also, the idea, also the idea that he's going to leave a MLS, the club's going to let him leave an MLS playoff run for a, uh, for a international. No, I'm not convinced of that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. I, I mean, look, the MLS commentariat has been on this whiny Sebastian Giovinco tirade for the last like six months or so. Ever since he kind of exploded onto the scene with with uh, Toronto, he is a really good player in MLS. He definitely is probably worth a shout, but he just hasn't hacked it on this level. And people are using this failure to justify this kind of rose-colored glasses to imagine that this kind of hacky, like, he's not bad. But, like, the idea that he, you know, could go up against, you know, players that are that are in, in you know, some of the best in the entire world and make a, be a game-breaking presence like fucking Messi is, a, is nonsense. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's really silly. I, I, I don't know what else to say. He's like, if you, people are just overrating the player, and then the, con- and then, and then the problem is the concept that like one player is necessarily going right. to change uh, the outcome over a two-legged match. Like, you know, maybe he scores, but like also, what I don't remember who it was, but they hit the post in this game. So like, yeah, it's like maybe he hits the post, post all the same. Like, what, what are you going to do? <sighs> uh, okay, so. The first of a number of awesome tweets from my personal favorite shitty take uh, account. At Registability, RG6, you remember him because he's the dude that said soccer should be scored like performance art by judges uh, like in the Olympics. Big fan. Definitely follow the dude because he has the amazing combination of being an extremely, extremely full of himself and extremely confident in, in what he's saying, uh, and extremely wrong about almost everything that he says. Yeah, so in this in this particular tweet, he pretty much says, well, maybe if they played more like Pep Guardiola's beautiful football, they would have beaten Sweden. Exactly. And in particular, what he's talking about is uh, Italy's defense, which he says yeah. should be more like Guardiola's defense. As if the Guardiola-style defense has any impact or relationship to somehow you know, defending in an Italian style. The, Guardi- the entire idea of Guardiola's defense is to possess the ball as defense. Defensive possession is defense for Guardiola. So he says, hey, at Chiellini, maybe a bit of Guardiolismo would have improved Italy's chances of breaking down Sweden's deep block. This is, it is just a brutally absurd response to Chiellini, who said, I think correctly, that Guardiolismo, Pep Guardiola's understanding of how to, how to you know, protect a game and play defense, ruined a lot of defenders in Italy. Now, everyone wants to build the play, but no one knows how to mark. It's a shame because certain features have not allowed our football to excel everywhere. We'll never have the tiki-taka of Spain. It's not in our philosophy. That is a, actually a really good point that Chiellini is making. Tiki-taka is not an Italian style. It is not what an Italian block 
and Italian defense is 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 you know is based around the Italian defense is based around a very very high concept and high intellect version of both zonal and man marking, and Chiellini basically is saying, well look in our situation and the Guardiola style is very much more you know about building play from the back and possessing the ball, but the Italian play uh, and and. Guardiola's system really breaks down when the other team has the ball and is running at you. But the Italian-style defense actually thrives when the other team has the ball and is trying to run at you because the entire defense works as a unit to dispossess and close down the spaces. And that's simply what it's... it's I think it's a, Evan, perfectly correct and so, well-thought-out point. Well, that so what is... What is revealed in this tweet is something that we already kind of know about this guy and Pep slurpers in general, which is that they think there's only one way to play soccer, right? They think there is one style. You have to bring that to the table. And if you're not playing it that way, you're playing wrong. Because the way that Italy sets up their defense and the way that they decide to absorb pressure and the way they decide to counterattack is a perfectly valid way to win football matches. It might not match every set of players. Um, it might not always be the best in every circumstance. But it's a, a competent, if really terrible to watch, way of playing soccer. Uh, Pep Guardiola has a completely different way. And it has been very successful, very beautiful. It also has gotten his Man City team sliced up a whole lot. So do we talk about how great the, you know, the Guardiola, you know, possession defense is when they get absolutely hammered? No, um, we don't. You know, so... We don't, we don't, because we just accept that, you know, sometimes the system doesn't work. Sometimes players on the pitch make a difference, and it matters less which system you're actually running. So, like, this dude just thinks, and his whole thing about how you should score, how pretty it is, like, it just shows that he thinks there's one way to go about it. And if you're not going, you know, and, and the, the Italians are wrong with how they go about it. And I think that's, that, that is just a really myopic and just frankly incorrect way of thinking about tactics on a soccer pitch. And that's what this guy's whole shtick is. It's basically like if there's any way that we could get Pep Guardiola-ism into literally everything, then that's better. And basically it's the whole idea. It's like this guy is like stuck in 2010 where like the Pep Guardiola Barcelona had these fucking religious zealot-like defenders who would say shit like football is art and Pep Guardiola's Barcelona is a team of artists and every other team that plays any other style is just Philistines who don't understand when they should just, like, they don't understand how to appreciate the art that Pep Guardiola is, is creating. This guy is amazing. We're going to come back to him because there's more. Uh, all right, so next bad take about this game, I'm going to shout out to my, uh, to my racists, some good-ass racists out there, big ol', big ol', uh, uh, you know, call as, as there sometime are, just throwback fascism from, from a couple of Italian people, this guy, Alex Maschitti, Maschitti, uh, is a commenter who I've, I've followed for a while, is, uh, well understood in, in football circles, he has some shit to say up. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, he, he has this whole Twitter rant. I don't know how closely we want to follow the exact thing, the exact rant, but basically it's look at uh, the fact we lost. It is because we have all of these foreign born players who he claims aren't real Italians. Uh, if only we kicked all the foreign players out of Syria, we could build strong, real Italian talent again and be good at soccer. And I'm pretty sure that he does not consider the 
players of color who were born in Italy to yep. be real Italians. No chance, right? No chance Balotelli is Italian. Let's, here, right. let, let me just read one of my, my favorite version of this racism, uh, this, this tweet. All right. Currently, he says, less than 47% of the players in the Serie A are Italian. So many foreign players are developed, yet young Italians get thrown to the wayside. If Italy ever wants to become a title contender, ready, there need to be less Rodriguez's and more Rossi's. Blam. It's just beautiful, oh, chef, like, hand-kissing emoji, old-school racism. Really good shit from Mr. Moschiti. He also says uh, some of the old fascist lingo. The whole thing needs to be cleaned out. Uh, diversity is our strength. This is what gets us. Clean it all out. Tutti batteni. I actually don't even know what the fuck that means, but it sounds fucking fascist as shit. So, real shout out, shout out to this guy. You know, I gotta tell you, there is, I heard some of this kind of stuff coming from people in MLS uh, circles, which to me was even more absurd. Like, people talking about how really the issue with the U.S. team is that too many foreigners are playing in MLS. That's an insane thing, I think, especially when you're talking about the United States, where, like, a Rodriguez last name actually is just as likely to be American as he is to be Latin American. Like, I'm, you know, it's, it's stupid. So it's even stupider in our country. So if you see anyone making that argument, like we need to kick the foreigners out of MLS in order for the U.S. soccer team to be competitive, uh, remind that person that he probably doesn't even know which players are foreigners uh, in the United States. <sighs> Anything to add, Evan? Nope, nope, you covered it. All right. Last. I, mean, I, I just I think the one actually I do have one thing to add, which is like this is not new with you know, like I don't I'm sure this isn't unique, but in you know in a world where we've had Italian managers talking before about how they need to have more real Italian-born players in the uh, in the national team in order to succeed. Oh yeah. Um, it's just it kind of is a sad pattern in people commenting on the Italian national team. It's, it's not good. good. It's a good point. There was um, there was a there's a previous comment I believe it was about Balotelli and about basically how like anyone who's black can't really be Italian and can't feel the passion of of, of being an Italian. It's it's terrible. So that's one of them. All right, and last last type of bad take about this match. Uh, as soon as this match over w was over, um, a lot of people, including myself, including people that I really like, uh, were making jokes about how it's going to be awesome to see potentially Zlatan come back for the World Cup because Sweden are in the World Cup and everyone loves Zlatan. Well, not everyone, Evan. Apparently, there has been a large minority of people on Twitter who are yelling about how Sweden should not bring Zlatan back. So it is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, it, it's so idiotic. He's, he is one of the best strikers in the world. And to the, if, if, you know, obviously this is all conditional. If he's healthy, if he's fit, if he can, you know, if he shows a little bit of form here in the second half. But to say that right now you're ruling out Zlatan is, is just idiotic, especially in uh, the World Cup where, you know, it's group stages, but then it's a knockout tournament. So you slip through the, through the, um, to the group stages now, a goal here and there is humongous. Can put you through an entire That's round. That's a potentially tournament, like defining and tournament changing thing. When you're in one game knockouts, if you like the idea of not bringing the game, the like best, most game changing talent your country has ever produced, 
is is bananas. It's an insane. It's an insane bad take. Like yeah, I, I mean, as as far as like a pure goal scorer, someone who can just from nothing create a goal. Like other than Messi and Ronaldo, I don't think there's anyone better in the world at just creating a goal than Zlatan. Now, maybe he's not that anymore, but we certainly don't know that right now. No. And 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 he can also you can bring him in and play you know 30, 40 minutes if that's all he can do at this point. Exactly. But he'd still be a crazy person not to play him for those thirty or forty imagine, minutes. Imagine bringing like you're you're down one nothing or tied zero zero or one one in in a knockout stage game, and you can bring Zlatan in at minute sixty or something and have him be on the pitch and run. And just create. I mean, one of the greatest soccer games I've ever seen in my life was Portugal versus Sweden a few years ago to determine who went to the World Cup. And Zlatan scored three goals and Cristiano Ronaldo scored four goals. And that was the only, like, that game just epitomized how good Zlatan is. He literally took that team to the brink of making it. He's an incredible player. It's an insane thing not to, not to say that you they shouldn't even consider bringing yeah, Zlatan. Yeah, it look, it's not I'm not saying that it's going to make sense to bring him. It might turn out like I said that he just doesn't have it anymore and he comes back from this injury. Like that's possible, but to rule him out now and say that there's no way, yo, this Sweden team they qualified, they're good enough. You know, yeah, they're I mean they're they obviously fucking good enough to qualify. They fucking into it though. Like they they backed into it and he's still your most talented player ever. So like if you don't if you're saying you shouldn't even and take a look at him in the second half of the season with United before you decide what to do. That's idiotic. It's an insane thing. Yeah. All right. So let's go all the way back in time because we have some of the best bad takes ever right now. Uh, so I just want to preface this one by saying the, the following bad takes, I admit they're from 2005. Okay. But 2005, it's a different time. But Evan, here's the thing. They're so funny. <laughs> This, this, so this, funny. so I saw this for the first time today, and this is maybe my favorite bad take I've ever seen. Okay, so 2005, just remember, I'm, and I'm going to read a number of them. I believe this is from Reddit, like a thread talking about U.S. soccer in Reddit in 2005, all right? You will see what we mean. All right, first one from a man called Sempukayaku who has a Sounders as a thing as his avatar. All right. Point number one. Like I've said before, Messi's conditioning is quite suspect, all caps. I mean, towards the end of the game, he was pretty much out of action and not really making any runs off the ball. Point number two. People here are lambasting Freddie Adu for missing the penalty kick, but not lambasting Messi for squandering the clear chance he had in front of goal by heading the ball right at our goalkeeper. Come on now. I think both players were great today. But to say that Messi, Lionel Messi, is clearly better than Freddie Adu is to be optimistic at best. Their skill levels are similar and Freddie is younger. All right? What a champion. Now, that amazing. guy's got an eye for talent. This is an amazing one. All right, and now it's just a, a series of replies. Ready? Guy called Caulfield. Agreed. Messi did a lot of running around with the ball. Great dribbling skills and acceleration, but in the end, nothing. He turned Failhaber around a couple of times, then what? A square pass? Freddie caused much more danger Drew more fouls, don't underestimate the importance of the ability to draw fouls in dangerous areas, and delivered quality free kicks. 
Messi was great, but Freddie was just as great, in my humble opinion. Plus, he was a heck of a lot more entertaining. <laughs> it's just amazing. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm really working on not losing it, guys. All right, next one. You sucks at footy. Well, says, did you watch this game? Did you miss the nifty dip dribbling tricks that Adu pulled? Did I miss some nifty ones from Messi? You could certainly say that Messi's dribbling was more effective than Adu's, but his skill at dribbling, at best, seems to be ish equal. At best. At best. Passing, I also disagree. Messi did wonders effectively opening himself up in space on the dribble, and they would lay off a wonderful square ball. Adu, however, hit some well-taken dead balls and free kicks that were always potentially dangerous. Indeed, he did miss a few passes along the ground to teammates going forward, but also sent in that great cross in the first half after dribbling the Argentine defender. This is just amazing. All right, last one, last one. Ready? Okay. After watching the game, Adu was more impressive than Messi, and Failhaber was the best player on the pitch. I bet he was. And Wynn was the best prospect I have ever seen at any level. Wow. If Adu gets good coaching and soon, he goes directly into the World Cup starting 11. And I don't mean the U.S. starting 11 at World Cup 06. He is what if our best athletes played soccer argument. Ladies and gentlemen, a forum from 2005 where a bunch of Americans said that Freddie Adu is better than Lionel Messi. God, it, it just, it's, I, I don't even, like, what even do you, what even do we say? What even commentary can we possibly add to a bunch of people jerking off to Freddie Adu and saying that Messi, yeah, he's fine. I love he's, it. He's, he's this okay. Is, guys, single-handedly, this, like, we built the bad take segment for this shit. The only negative about this, guys, is that it wasn't in, tw- like, recently. 20, but to be fair, Messi, already starting for Barcelona in 2005, 2006, like, he was really good back then. Freddie Adu. Where the fuck even was Freddie Adu in 2005? He was an MLS, man. He was an MLS. Was he at DC United still? I think so, yeah. And there must be talking about a game where USA played Argentina. Like that, yeah, my, they have to be. That, that, that's, the only, that's the only way they would have played against each other. It's just an insane, insane, insane thing to think. And no, like, do you imagine, like, I was into, like, I was a huge soccer fan in 2005. I was, and, but I already knew Messi was a huge prospect, and I was really angry that Barcelona had him. Like, he, he was, he was the, like, already really, really, really good on a European level. Freddie Adu was this hyped-up ESPN creation wonder kid who had nothing going on for him. He, like, just imagine the next three years of these two players' careers. Messi ended up winning the fucking Ballon d'Or only a couple years after that. And Freddie Adu? Freddie Adu burned out of the second division in Spain. Like, this is, like, I just, 2005 is way, way too late to be having this conversation. Well, God, I mean, you know, if there's anything to be learned from this, it actually has nothing to do with Lionel Messi. It has to do with how delusional American soccer fans can be all the time. Yeah. And 
And you even see it today with Christian Pulisic where, and, and here's the thing, Christian Pulisic is really good. He might be, you know, he, one of the best 18-year-old, 19-year-old players in the league, in the world right now. Like, I think it was not com- ridiculous at all no, to yeah. talk about him with Usemele uh, Dembele and K- yeah. Kylian Mbappe as the you and know, three, and Asensio and kind of the three or four Deli. best you yeah. know, teenage players in the world. But still we managed to ask too much of him. Still we managed to say, well, he should be able to carry the U.S. Right. by himself. Like, and it's just the delusion of any, you know, reasonably good or hyped or, you know, for dude was never even good, but hyped prospect. Right. And, and Americans were so desperate for that American, like Michael Jordan type player to just come in and be better than everyone else in the world at this sport. And we're just, it's, we, it's because we as a media culture are unable to grasp the fact that that's just not the way this works. It's just not Mm -hmm. like, and, and people like Christian Pulisic, like he is already, the best American player, excuse me, that I have ever seen. Yep. But that doesn't mean that he's better than any, like, he's not even in the top 15 or 20 best players in the world. Not even close, friends. Like, not even close. He no, might he, get there. He might, he, right now, he might crack a top 50 list. Maybe. Maybe. Right? Maybe. But, like, that's the thing. And so just because he's young and good doesn't mean he is, like, the best player ever. And so it's, it's – I hate being, the, like, the guy to say that, but it's, it's tough, right? This is just something we have to understand, and we have to prepare ourselves for the fact that if, if this guy is going to be anywhere near as good as we want him to be, we have to prep. Uh, we have to prepare for uh, – we have to prepare for him to be surrounded by other good players. And he actually, Evan, wrote a whole article for uh, the Players' Tribune where he basically said, look, I'm not a prodigy. I'm not some wonder kid. I worked really hard. I have some natural talent. But we need as a country to be able to invest and invest in developing young players. And he's right. Everyone should go read that article. Yeah, it's a great great article. I mean, it's really good. And um, actually, really kudos for him for taking a leadership role here in this really dark time for um, American soccer, him to kind of step into the void. And hopefully, you know, as we go into the soccer federation, U.S. soccer federation elections, you know, pushes the agenda just a little bit in that direction. Because we talked about this, you know, Gabe, Gabe, you and I talked about this, how what the U.S. suffered from is a complete lost generation of players because they could not develop teenagers into effective starters. Right. And he is correct in everything he says in that, that piece. And I'm hopeful that the next, like, it's time for a real remake and a change in leadership and, and, and to bring in someone who understands exactly what the ills that are plaguing the American system are. And it's not about fucking promotion and relegation, friends, because guess what? Italy has promotion and relegation. <laughs> they didn't make the World Cup. Like, this is not what it's about. That's not the only thing it's about. It's about a whole systemic series of issues and if you read, there's there's amazing new article that came out that, that was also talking not just about Christian Pulisic himself, but it was also interviewing Christian Pulisic's parents and the coaches that worked with him. And the truth is that when you read that, you realize how much of a catastrophe some of this stuff really is. Like the amount of money and time and uh, that are sunk into this really price certain types of players out, which is a catastrophe. But on top of that, you also have a really intense focus on developing a certain type of tactical or and and, and physical skill set um, that 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 we uh, that, that that actually isn't 
you know, what you're looking for when you're trying to build a well-rounded player. All right, next take. Um, we have so many of these guys, so I'm going to just go through. Uh, we're going to cut some of them. Um, <laughs> I want to say I, I'm going to dunk on my man Lucas. So Lucas Navarrete tweeted, it's going to be very hard for Madrid to find a buyer for Gareth Bale. No, well, yes. Yeah, no, I don't think it will either. I think so. Okay, so let me give it the best argument that it might be. And it's it's actually, excuse me, it's it's actually more about wages than fees. So I think Madrid will find would find someone who will take the money. But it's just like the wages he's making at Real Madrid are so ridiculous. I could imagine a world where if nobody wants to offer him those wages, he just you know he just can't reach terms, and it becomes difficult to move him from that uh, at, that point at of view. Best, that's the, the argument. Be, at, yeah, that's the best. I, I, can I will imagine. also say, look, I Lucas, I have a lot of respect for him. He's a good friend of mine. I also know that Lucas really doesn't like Gareth Bale personally. He doesn't think he's a good player. He doesn't like that Madrid has him, and he. Uh, works for Marca, and he's part of a coalition of people at Marca who really want Gareth Bale out of Real Madrid. That's a fact. I know it for a fact. Let me, I mean, the reason why I think it's a bad take is because, first, because there's teams with just ridiculous amounts of money who I think will pay basically Manchester anything United. for any player. And, that, and that's the one, right? It's Manchester United. Like, there's, that is the obvious place where they would pay an $80 million fee and they would pay him whatever hundreds of thousands of pounds per week and they have the cash i mean they make the most money of any team or at least year on year they're always up there in the top three check it out, check it out though chelsea they, also yep. would love to have them yeah and and there's actually there's even a, a, a sneaky little rumor out there that that gareth uh that that tottenham's interested if they can convince gareth to um to, to play in their wage structure just a little bit more than he otherwise would so um i just put it out there i do not think he's going back to spurs but i think it's just a point that you know there's a market for gareth bale there's no question there's a market and if they decide to sell it you know they will find a buyer maybe they don't find it for the right. 85 million that they're reported to want but if they you know drop that to 75 and that kind of makes up the extra wage money um then you know look they're, they'll be able to move him he's a unique talent there's always a market for unique talents like that okay next terrible take and this is Maybe my favorite one of the night. Uh, all right, it's back to our guy. It's back to our guy. Registability, my dude. Check this out. November 4th, 2017. I swear to God, this is his tweet. Julian Weigel, acne breakout on his neck. Sign of stress slash anxiety. Wrong temperate for a regista. And a regista is a deep, like, deep line playmaker. This man, this is not a joke. Again, this is a dude who takes himself really seriously. He sees that Julian Weigel has had some sort of skin condition on his neck, and he says that is a temperament issue. Think about how insane it is to say shit like that. Yeah, I, it's amazing. Julian Weigel is a 20, 22-year-old, widely regarded as one of the best center defensive I mean, midfielders in the world. He is incredible for Dortmund. He is absolute. He and Pulisic are the future of that squad. And this man is like, no, he's not going to be great. He's not going to be good because of a temperament issue because he has an acne breakout as a fucking 20-year-old. So, so, let's, so I, I guess I have, two, I have two things to say about this take. The first is that it is some of the worst logic I've ever seen in my entire life. That's not how any of that works. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's just that that's not – no, that's not – like – no, you can't just assume that someone's having stress and anxiety because they have acne. It's completely absurd. Um, and second, um, I, I kind of find it icky, like 
diagnosing someone with stress and anxiety based on something so dubious, but just in general speculating yeah. as to whether they have stress and anxiety and then saying how that's going to affect whether or not they're suited for a position. No, let's st let's stick to evaluating their performance on the pitch and keep away from speculating whether mental health issues might have something to do with it or not. Yep, please, please do. And to be, to be quite clear, I think this man's ability to judge players is so bad that this has only convinced me more that I would like to bring him to Real Madrid. He is the real deal, guys. <laughs> no, no, he yeah. really is. All right. The next one that I wanted to talk about, Evan, is one that you brought me on to, and it's Alexi Lalas, who we, oh, yeah. we both detest, who had uh, an amazing troll, amazing troll move a couple of days ago. Uh, where he interacted with Grant Wall about the American uh, development system. Why don't you uh, take it away from there? Yeah, so Alexi, so so they're having this discussion about whether or not players fall through the cracks in uh, in the American development system. And you know, Wall, Grant Wall was arguing that you know that's the problem is that talented players don't get picked up because of pay for play things like that. Like that's his whole point, not a unique point. Uh, our, our good friend, Mr. Alexi Lala says, well, how about you, how much you give me some names? How about you name names? Oh what are some, God. what are some names of players who fell through the cracks? Grant Wall comes back reasonably and says, uh, well, you know, the fact that they fell through the cracks means we don't know who they are for the most part. Otherwise they wouldn't have fallen through the cracks. Uh, and Alexi Lala comes back and says, so no names then. Gotcha. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable because yeah, yeah. like fundamentally what we're talking about here is not just individual people who like we may have found, but they didn't. They fell through the cracks. Do you know who else fell through the cracks? Fucking Steph Curry, Chris Paul, like the amazing highest level athletes in this country, right? Like that, the point that this man doesn't seem to understand is that falling through the cracks isn't just about like unnamed like latino inner city kid who is the next messi it's also the uh incredibly athletically gifted people who play seven sports but not soccer for whatever reason because our our you know structure prevents them from trying it or prevents their family from being able to afford it lebron james right imagine how good a goalkeeper some of the players that play in the nba could have been as a goalkeeper like six, lebron is like six eight and incredibly good at jumping. Look, he's better at basketball than he ever would have been at keeper. But if LeBron James is born in Spain, I think that he could easily have ended up being a goalkeeper. And, like, that, that's, that's part of this point, too, right? Hi, Charlie. Everybody say yeah. hi to Charlie. <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's a big part of this point. And, like, it's it just the idea that and, – and Lalas is so clearly trying to troll because he says, name someone who fell through the cracks. But the whole point, even putting aside, right, the idea that Americans' best players don't even play soccer, is that you can't name people that fell through the cracks because they fell through the cracks, by definition. Yeah, that's, that's the whole point, especially because we're talking about teenage players here, right? We're talking about people who are, you know, and young teens, too. We're not talking about 18, 19 years old, year olds exclusively. We're talking about even younger players. We're talking about people who never made it to you know, to the pros and we're talking, and part of the reason, like, I guess your you know, best argument lawless is like, well, in Europe, there's a academy system. And so you kind of know these guys names. That's the whole point is that we don't have that. And so you don't know who they are. That's the point. That's the critique. It's so stupid. But Alexi Laws does this crap all the time. He's constantly on Twitter, just riling, riling people up. Yep. Um, it, it, it's just, it's barely worth, 
even engaging with him, except for somehow he is like the chief soccer voice well, in American but soccer. But that's I don't why it's it. worth engaging with him because he is the guy that a lot of Americans go to to talk about soccer and especially to talk about the future of American soccer. And what really infuriates me, Evan, is that Alexi Lalas is someone who was so instrumental in like beginning this drive towards opening up American soccer and now basically doesn't think anything needs to change. He's like, yeah. well, what do you mean people fall through the cracks? That's not true. It's like, yeah, of course they do. What the fuck are you talking about, you piece of shit? You're, ah, okay, I'm not, or do, ah, or do, I fucking or hate it, him so much. Or does he literally mean that over a four-year period, not a single player in the United States was born anywhere who played soccer, who was good enough to eventually crack the starting 11, because that's what you have in birth years like 1994 to 1998. Right. It's not a single player cracking. Ugh, it's infuriating. And he, so he, he would have us believe that, that that's what happened, not that we missed them. Okay. Uh, I think with that, we're going to wrap it up. I have one last uh, bad take, but I think it's better to save it for the next one. It's basically a long take about how Cristiano Ronaldo is an egoist and a piece of shit. And Lionel Messi is like the greatest dude ever. We also have another incredibly bad take from Mr. Registability about how Pep Guardiola's teams uh, don't get tact don't get booked for tactical fouls because of how brilliant Pep is. Uh, yep. Which is an insane and dumb take, but classic. This guy. Um, I would encourage you to follow him because he's an idiot and it's really funny to mock him. Um, but I think we, we're going to leave it there. Uh, in the future, we're, we'll do one of our bad takes in the future. We'll talk about this article about Ronaldo because it's, it's really no, bad, it's, it's It's good stuff. People can be excited about that in the future because it's, yeah. it's not going anywhere. It's and not it, going it, anywhere. It, it, yeah, yeah, it's going to stay fresh. Yeah, exactly. All right, buddy. It was so good to talk to you. And uh, we will be back next week with hopefully uh, some more interesting news about the club scene. Until Very then, excited. buddy. Right. Yeah, should be good. Bye.